Episode 49 of the Tactical Breakdown Podcast. Today, we're talking all about building up resiliency from the mental and physical standpoint. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Tactical Breakdown, a podcast for law enforcement, military, and emergency response professionals. Stand by. Where we help you bridge the gap and talk training, tactics, and leadership with the best subject matter experts in the world. Here is your host, Adam Kanakin. All right, episode 49 of the Tactical Breakdown podcast, almost to 50, not quite there yet, but I'm sure we'll get there soon enough. We've been downloaded in over 75 countries. Tens of thousands of officers have listened to this podcast. So if you aren't subscribed already, I don't know what you're doing with your life. If you're in law enforcement, especially if you're a law enforcement instructor, this is going to be the place to be to get all of the up-to-date information from the top experts and instructors in the world. So make sure to subscribe to the podcast. You can do it on your favorite podcast player. And if you haven't checked out the International Law Enforcement Training Summit that we ran in July, go to iletsummit.com and you can get access to all of the training content we developed Use the promo code BREAKDOWN and save money on that as well. My guest today is Mr. Doug Fluke. Doug is a one hell of an athlete. Man, this guy, well, aside from being a fantastic law enforcement officer, the guy is a top-level fitness coach, works with professional athletes all around the world, and um, has an amazing message to send about resiliency, not only from the physical standpoint, but from the mental standpoint. And this was an episode I was really excited to record with him. Um, He's a fellow Canadian, and um, I'm just excited to have Doug on the show with me here today. So without any further ado, let's jump into this episode. Here we go. All right, I got Doug on the line. Doug, it's uh, it's been a while, man. We've been looking forward to putting this back together. I know we tried this once way back in the early days of the podcast and the audio got a little messed up but uh, here we are and uh, really excited to have you on the show and share your story my man well thanks very much i really appreciate it i know when we talked before we uh, had a lot of good strategies but sadly some of those uh, strategies that we talked about i've had to use since that time so it'll give you some really current and then some fresh information on, on how you combat some of the bad things that we do in our lives and our jobs yeah absolutely i mean you know when we spoke last there was you gave a very personal story about what kind of led you into doing what you do now. And you're a big proponent of leadership, uh, personal motivation, uh, power of positive thinking, all that going along with being a, you know, a top level fitness instructor and also law enforcement officer. So, and trainer. So, you know, let's set the context for, for those listening right now. Can you give us a little bit of your background and your story that kind of led you to where we are right now? Yeah, definitely. I remember going into grade seven, and I was one of those young men that grew wide before you grew tall. And we grew up in a in a in a home. My parents both worked; they were both uh, very hardworking people. But uh, we didn't have a lot of money. And I remember my grade seven teacher going into gym class because we went to grade one to six at one school. Then he went to a senior school for si- uh, seven and eight. Then he went off to high school. And this uh, teacher, for lack of better words, uh, decided in class to make fun of me in front of all the other guys. He called me Fatty Flug. Uh, and then he found out where I live. He told me I was a welfare piece of bomb and I'd never amount to anything. So I had some really critical uh, um, things said about me at that time. And right now I stand 6'1", 240 athletic build. But I was just a, a young man that I didn't have a lot of, uh, I hadn't grown yet. 
luckily for me, I had a circle of some really good friends that were very athletic at the time. And they, you know, basically told me and, and supported me that this teacher was an idiot, which I would say he is, because as anyone knows that if you have a positive male role model in your life, especially for young males, you can really enact and help set up some great success. I remember going home and telling my dad that my dad was pretty well crushed because as I said, he and mom worked very hard. Um, they tried to give us everything that they could. All of our needs were met. It was just sometimes our wants were. So he took me for a walk and we went across the street to the school and it was really a profound uh, um, lesson that he taught me. He said, Doug, we're all millionaires. And I'm thinking, well, dad, you know, we don't live in a millionaire's home. We don't dress like a millionaire. What are you talking about? You know, this is just this fatherly advice that, you know, what does he know? And it was at that time he gave me one of the best lessons of my life. And he said, you know, you're a millionaire and your value comes from your name and your bond. So he said, as you go through life and as you do good things for people, you increase the value. And if you always invest in yourself, then one day when you go through a bad situation, you're going to invest in so much in other people that those investments about being a good person and doing the right thing and being, uh, you know, trying to make everyone's life better that you came into it, that's going to reap some dividends. And it was a really good lesson that I learned in grade seven, which I was able to, to, to navigate going into high school when you started to get confident and, and kind of grow and become the person that you were. That really came to test in grade 12. I remember uh, all through high school, I had a friend, Ram Tumker, and Ram uh, was picked on. He was uh, from South uh, Asian descent, and unfortunately, our high school was all pretty well white, and some people picked on him for his ethnicity or just the way he spoke, and I was always kind of like a bodyguard to him, so he'd wait for me after uh, football practice or wrestling practice or track practice, and on a daily basis, I'd walk him and kind of protect him going to the bus station. I remember uh, going home, getting ready to go into grade 13, and I walked into the bus station, and we had a great talk. And he was like, you know, Fugger, we're in grade 13 next year. Everything's going to be a lot better. And I remember, uh, you know, wishing him well. He told me he was going to go on a vacation. Him and his sister were going to go to India. They had, he hadn't seen his grandmother in a lot of years. And, I, you know, in the next coming weeks, I went to summer school for math, like I seem to do every high school year. And uh, I was rocked when I heard the news that Air India uh, had blown up, and I lost the very man that I tried to protect my entire high school career. Um, some external forces took him and he was blown up and he was killed. And that was a very profound time and, and a time that I really redefined in my life that I wanted to be a police officer and I wanted to go out there and be the voice of those silenced by bullying or just try to be that voice of reason or that light in, in people's darkness and try to help them navigate out of that. That's awesome, man. That's, uh, you know, it's, it's always that it, there, it seems to be, especially with people, you know, that do this job, there's, there seems to be that one change that one motivating factor that gets them to to jump into this line of work um and so that's really powerful right especially from a psychological perspective what um what got you into all of the fitness training that you're doing right now like i mean because you've worked with some very high level high high level athletes so what got you into the fitness training and, and how has that been applicable for for your law enforcement career um, there's an article that we actually use right now. It's called Training to Win. But one of the things that we do is we get um, the young people to break it down. How can you train your body? And that's not so much your, it's your physical fitness as well as your nutrition, your hydration, what your body needs to survive. I was always an elite athlete. Uh, you know, once I got a little bit older, I played football and I wrestled in university at a national level. So those were two strengths that I always had. And they were also my strengths when it came down to having a bad day. Because if someone was being extra critical to you as a law enforcement, you had a bad day, you just go to the gym and you kind of blow it off and have a productive way to get rid of that negative uh, environment uh, or that negative stimulus that came in you. And instead of letting something that's meant to tear you down, I would kind of use that to motivate me to bring me back up and use the anger that was associated with being criticized, marginalized, or treated the way I was 
to fuel the workout. You burn off the bad steam, you burn off the cortisol. In the end, you get your endorphins releasing. You feel really good about yourself. Uh, I was on the job for about two years, uh, and I, I saw actually Todd Bertuzzi being trained in the gym uh, by a guy, a muscle head. And uh, I just looked at him and thought, this is so wrong because, you know, training an elite uh, hockey player, and Todd was drafted in the first round of the NHL, training someone like a bodybuilder was just so wrong. So I approached him and I approached uh, Jeff O'Neill, who was also training, and uh, Jamie Wright. And I asked them to give me a chance. And I trained them that summer for free just to show them the skill sets that I had and the benefits that I could help them out with. And at the same time, I had talked to an amazing uh, uh, gentleman, Mr. Mike Kelly, who's become a great friend, mentor, supporter, and, uh, and lifelong friend. And I asked him the same thing. I will donate my time and my services to the Guelph Hockey Club. And I'm hoping that you will allow me to do that. And I'll do it for free just to show you my value. So at the end of that summer, uh, I, I met EJ Maguire, who uh, turned out to be another lifelong friend. EJ is probably one of the most... Uh, popular and nicest men you'll ever meet in the NHL. Sadly, about six, seven years ago, he was aggressively, uh, or he's taken by aggressive form of cancer and he's gone. But EJ was amazing because he approached hockey and he approached life. Um, he was uh, he had his honors degree in human kinetics, had his master's degree in human biology, he had his uh, PhD in sports psychology. So at that time, I had uh, EJ McGuire and I had uh, Mike Kelly, two incredible men that uh, mentored me. But they also allowed me an opportunity to train some athletes and learn that different side of it. In law enforcement officers, I like to think that we're the elite of society. But it was really neat seeing a different type of elite through the athletic side and starting to combine some of the skills that I had learned through my own physical training, my own mental training, my training as a police officer, and then translating that to them and helping them through their training. And uh, it, was a, it was a really neat hybrid mix. And uh, for the first five years, I trained every time with those fellows. So there'd be three athletes, and I'd do the workout with them. I kept my barn or my stable down to six because I, I couldn't physically train more than twice a day. But I was doing two-a-day workouts with these guys, and we created some amazing bonds. I learned so much about myself, but I realized that uh, training your body and your mind, is it has to be done in conjunction with each other. You can't rain, um, train them in isolation, but if you're training your body, your mind, and your discipline, you can be really successful. And little did I know that the framework and the groundwork that I was learning at that time, how it would go down years later, that would save my life when I went through a horrific situation and a call for service that just rocked me to my core. Yeah, let's talk about that call. Um, I mean, we I know I've heard the whole story and, and we've discussed it in the past, but for people listening here, I mean, I think it's going to set a good groundwork for what we're going to talk about after this. So can you share a little bit about your story and, uh, and what happened? Sure. Back in 1990, uh, I was young. I had just been on for about a year. I was you know, one of those young guys I could uh, solve the world, I could conquer the world. And I thought uh, everything was fine and, and nothing could hurt me. It was devil's night. Um, I got called up onto Walnut Drive. I was working five and eight to three in the morning. It's just amazing how you can remember everything as though it was yesterday and even though it was over 30 years ago. Um, the call for service was that someone had placed a mannequin in the leaves. And in Guelph, uh, they still do it, but they put the leaves, your, you know, your, your tree leaves, you put it in the gutter, and then the big elephant trough comes by and, and sucks it up. I remember getting there about 10 after 5, and I walked up to this mannequin, and I found a dead, crushed 12-year-old little boy. And I just remember how devastated I was. I did not understand what was going on. Uh, it's the first dead body I'd ever seen. Um, and I was kind of in a state of, uh, of just almost like suspended animation or, or, or suspension. And I remember as the call went on, um, one of the senior officers, and, and I don't fault him because it was his generation, but when I look back now, I think it was absolutely terrible. I remember uh, after about six or seven hours, we lifted his dead little body up on the stretcher and I had huge alligator tears in my eyes. I'm thinking like, what's going on here? Because I, I you know, I was, I was there to sell, save the world and conquer the world. 
And I remember setting him down on the stretcher and the officer pulled me aside behind one of the vans and he told me I was a, basically the biggest wimp he'd ever seen, that how dare I cry, I, you know, suck it up, buttercup. And, uh, and that uh, they hired me to fight with my size and uh, crying like a baby was not, uh, was not uh, what they had wanted. I suffered in silence for a lot of years and I denied my own feelings and I denied what was going on and I, I never really dealt with it. And to this day, I never did have dealt with it to the fullest extent because back then in law enforcement, there wasn't a road to mental readiness. There wasn't EAP. There wasn't a system and infrastructure that you could go through to realize that you're going to be dealing with some incredibly horrific things. And there's reasons, there's, the, there's response stressors that your body's going to go to. Uh, fast forward that to 2004, I had my second daughter, Alexis, born. She's a beautiful little blondie. And in 2006, I remember being called. I was a, a, a road sergeant at the time. And I remember getting a call to a baby in distress on a, on a uh, on a, a big apartment building. We got there and, you know, as I said, we always trained our bodies. So we got there and we saw that the elevator wasn't working. So we ran up the 13 flights of stairs. It wasn't a big deal because we had trained our body for that. And as you're running up the stairs, you're thinking, okay, this is what I have to do for CPR. And you're going through a whole mental preparation and all of those uh, things that you had done in a casual setting, you're trying to take that learning in an emergent setting. What I wasn't prepared for is when we came through the door, I was handed a two-year-old little girl that had drowned in the bathtub. And as I held her and tried to do some life-keeping um, efforts on her, my mind just took me back to that little boy in the leaves. And, and for some reason, I identified that that little girl was my own little girl. And I remember back that uh, she looked, smelled, felt just like my Alexis at home. And uh, several of us openly prayed and we openly wept as we tried to bring her little body back to life, but we didn't. And at that point, I really crashed because I thought I had failed. And my entire life was about making everyone's life better and, and protecting other people and being strong for people. And in reflection, I remember thinking, okay, was I strong for my fellow officers? Because I was their boss. And, and, you know, I was strong for them. Was I strong for the family? Was I strong for the ambulance and strong for the fire? I was, I was strong for everyone there. But the biggest error that I made is I wasn't strong for myself. And, and that's one thing as we move forward as leaders, we have to realize that, um, you know, my mantra for leadership is leading with your best self model the behavior you seek of others, and always try to create an environment where other people can succeed. But you got to take care of yourself before you can take care of others. And so after that situation happened, I remember going home, and I, I'm not proud of it, but I self-medicated with rye whiskey for about a week to 10 days because I just didn't want to feel. It wasn't to get drunk. It was just the fact that I was tired of hurting. I was tired of the sleepless nights. I was tired of waking up in the middle of the night, seeing her dead little eyes. And I just wanted to go to sleep and not feel anything. And uh, shortly thereafter, my mom called me up and uh, she basically said, this is not you. It's not how you work, um, how we raised you and you need to get some help. And uh, it was a pretty neat revelation because uh, we had a critical incident debrief, which I'm really proud of my police organization. It was the Guelph Police Service. Um, we had a, a longstanding partnership with the Homewood Health Center. And uh, I think we're probably one of the first police services that had such a comprehensive uh, mental health uh, program for us, especially through our EAP we had a critical incident debrief and I remember sitting in a big circle there and uh, myself and another officer who was a lot bigger than I was, he's about six foot six, 290 pounds. And there's just this dead silence. But when his tears, tears started to flow down his face and mine did, I don't know who went first. It was almost like a relief for the whole room. And, and together we all wept. Um, it was the dispatchers. It was uh, all the people from the police service that went through that. And it was such a cleansing time that I realized that I, I needed to get better. And I went and I met this lady, Mary Margaret, and uh, we remain friends to this day. But after some pretty extensive counseling and uh, 
I, I like to call that a post-traumatic stress injury for me. I don't like the word disorder personally. I'm not giving disrespect to those people who've been diagnosed with that. But this, for me, I equated it to being like an athlete. If you blow your knee, you get surgery, you go to physiotherapy, you get your, your, your function back to normal, and you still have that physical uh, scar from where the stitches were. And for me, I packaged up my mental health injury uh, as the same thing. I had hurt myself. I went, I got some help. Uh, I, I function normally today, but I still have the scars and the memories of the past that sometimes haunt you. Wow, man. Well, thank you so much for sharing that story. It's so powerful. I mean, we, you know, since we talked last, I mean, I've had a, another child and we have another one on the way. And, you know, I think that was something that we talked about the first time was when you have a child, um, I think, I think for those listening in, if you're any type of first responder or any, any person who deals with emergencies, I mean, even healthcare workers, that's, that's kind of the worst case scenario is, is something to do with a child, right? Those, um, you know, the sudden death calls, those, those types of things, they can be the most taxing from an emotional perspective, especially when you can draw connections to your own life and to your own children. And so, um, I can't imagine, I mean, I'm sitting here listening to it and I'm getting, I got like the, you know, apple welled up in my throat. I'm like, I can't even imagine what that would be like. Um, so the fact that you're at a point now that you can share that is so powerful. And I'd love to talk a little bit about that process um, that you went through and, and that people listening to this, if, if maybe they're in the middle of it right now, or maybe it's something that could happen in the future or could happen to one of their partners. What's that process that you went through? What are some steps that you took that, that got you to where you are? Uh, the first thing Mary Margaret tried to do, and it was pretty neat because it was bigger than myself, was the fact that I needed to get better confidence because um, I had sadly had uh, two marriages that didn't go, go well. And I always put myself in positions where I didn't value what I had. And my self-esteem was low. And even though you know it, it, everything was superficial with the football, the wrestling, the track, I had to really get down to my core values. And we went through an exercise where um, she basically talked about the, the dash poem. And I know online, and I use the dash poem a lot uh, for some of my training sessions for Bob Dole. It's from 2008, where he's actually talking at the World Food Prize. And the poem basically starts, I went to the funeral of a friend one day. And the whole concept behind the poem is it's not the day you're born, like the, the 1966 in my case, or hopefully 90 years later, um, you'll have 2056. That doesn't exemplify my life. What exemplifies my life and who I am as a person is that little tiny dash between the two numbers. Because at that time, she asked me, who, am, who was I? And I, well, what do you mean? Well, who were you? Who are you? And who do you want to be? And what four words, if they were on your tombstone, would best exemplify who you are as a human being and let someone know who you are? So it was such a profound impact that I went through uh, the exercise and I came up with honor, integrity, passion, and accountability. And she said, all too often in the world, people look uh, at a situation by the scoreboard. You know, did you win? Uh, you won 5-4 or you lost 4-3. She said, when you go into some situations, you're not going to win. And the scoreboard's going to say you lost 7-2. But you can't take that as a personal attack. And you have to realize what that victory or that loss meant. Did that loss give you an opportunity for personal growth and to move forward and to grow and learn from that adversity? And I agree with that. And then she said, what I want you to do from now on is every time you go through a situation, whether you win or you lose, I want you to debrief it from those four lenses. Did I treat those people with honor? And with that is, did I treat them fairly? Did I, you know, 
good, uh, good men doing good things better? Or did I treat them just with honor, with respect, with empathy, with caring? The second one was uh, integrity. And for me, it's integrity is what you do when no one's watching. And, uh, you know, it's easy to be good or it's easy to do the right thing when there's people watching you. What do you truly do when there's no eyes watching or there's no ears his, uh, listening to you? The, the third one, as you, I hope your listeners are getting, is, is the passion. I try to live every second of every day. It's so important to me that I'm going to live every second of every day that I don't want this gift of life to be wasted. And, uh, you know, a lot of times people are like, whoa, Dougie, slow it down, tone it down. But I want to change everyone's life. And if it's by a smile, if it's by my energy, if it's by giving them some light in a dark day, then, then that's a good thing. And the last one is accountability. You know, I'm accountable to my, my Lord. I'm accountable to my wife. I'm accountable to my family, my friends, or whatever sphere of influence that I'm working in. So nowadays, when I go through a situation, if I can you know, sit back and reflect and uh, in the casual situation, not the emergent situation, say, well, I treated that situation, everyone in it with honor, boom, I get a check mark. Integrity, check mark. Passion, check mark. And third, accountability. And then I can move from that and, and realize that sometimes I'm not meant to win. But those times that I'm not meant to win, did I have personal growth from it? Did I learn? Can I take that experience, the lessons that I've learned, and can I help other people? And it's quite amazing because that was the 2007 that that happened. And since you and I have chatted this past February, um, our lives were just totally rocked again. Um, I was, uh, we have a, a condo down on Bablo Island. And uh, we were getting, I was joking with my friend's wife how we bought him the stupid leg pillow where he, he got caught the week before sleeping with his wife's pillow between his legs because he had lower back issues. And I remember we bought one of those little triangle uh, pillows you put between your legs and we gave it to his wife and we laughed and giggled and she called us on the phone saying, oh, he's going to love this. This is just so much, it's so fun. I'll get him to call you when, when he gets home. So I remember we're sitting there and we're actually going to go on a cruise the next day and uh, we were going to fly to Detroit. We're going to get up at six. We're just getting ready to go to bed and my phone goes off and it's my buddy's uh, number. And I, I remember going, hey, you dumbass, how'd you like your gift? And I hear it's uh, Windsor Homicide. I need you down here right away. And that just blew. It was just one of those things that you went into overdrive and you kind of went back that uh, Sergeant Flug has been retired uh, for about three years now. But I went back into that mode. And when I went down, I met an officer from Windsor that I actually had taught several weeks earlier in the homicide course. He said, I'm sorry, but your friend has taken a shotgun and he's ended his life. And, you know, it was really weird because Michelle and I are both there. And my wife, Michelle, is a, is a retired um, ident sergeant from Peel Police. And we both went back into our conventional roles as officers. And it was really weird operating and doing everything for other people um, in those roles when I hadn't really seen her at work and she hadn't really seen me at work. But we, we became those roles. And um, like I said, it just totally blew our minds that this is what had happened. And the next day, um, you know, we, we had to help our friend. Uh, she was just devastated. We took her to her family and we helped with the death notifications because the officers weren't prepared for what they, uh, they were dealing with. And then we flew out to, to Florida the next day. And the cruise wasn't that great, but the weather was terrible. But we, uh, Michelle and I got a lot of chance to sit and reflect. And uh, I remember going through my, my process that, um, you know, and I was hurting bad. And I was confused and I was lost. And you're trying to apply rational thought to an irrational act as far as we were concerned. But then I started to remember what Mary Margaret had taught me to do, to sit back and realize that I was not going to win this game. And I'm not trivializing his death as a game, but the situation, I was never going to win. So I thought back and said, my entire life, did I treat him with honor? Did I treat the family? Did I treat everyone in, in the crisis 
with honor. And that gave me some peace. Did I treat them with integrity? And again, I said yes. And we both said yes. And that gave us peace. Was I passionate? Oh my God, they could see that. The, you know, the hugs that I would give or the tears in my eyes or what have you, it was there. And the last piece was, was I accountable? And as tough as it was to say goodbye to a friend, I remember uh, calling Mary Margaret uh, a week after we got back on the cruise. And I was so proud because the last time that I was that devastated, I self-medicated with rye for about uh, a week to 10 days. And I didn't do that this time. I didn't feel the need. And then I actually told her, Ed, what I had done. We talked for a very short period of time. And then she just reminded me that, uh, have you worked out in a while? And I said, well, no. She said, that's one of your coping mechanisms. So you've got all this cortisol stress hormone in your system. Go blow out some steam. Say goodbye to your friend. And just remember what I taught. And it was just so amazing that something that I had learned 13, 14 years ago, I didn't really have to use. But when I needed it, it was there. It was that system, that infrastructure in place. And that's why I'm glad that you and I are talking. Because if I can help someone figure out who they were, who they are, and who they want to be, and what system and infrastructure in place they can rely on that can be their safety net when they're falling into a pit or they're going to darkness. At the bottom of that pit, they always say that you have to hit rock bottom before you can real, truly come back up. I want everyone to find their granite at the bottom of the pit like I did. And that granite is based on my core values and my friends, my family, and everything that I've learned in the past and taken towards the betterment of others in the future. Well, first off, man, I'm I'm sorry for your loss and and your friend that that you guys lost this year, and that's that's really hard. Um, and unfortunately for everybody listening to this, they know that that kind of thing happens all too often, um, especially in in the profession of law enforcement uh, for first responders and and military veterans. And I mean, that's one of the things that we focus on a lot on this show, and it was one of the main reasons why, of course, I wanted to have you on and share your story. And but more importantly, you know. And the people that are listening to this right now, they can, you can just sense it. You get this, you get this energy rush, um, kind of listening to you speak, um, uh, because like you said, you are so positive and that positivity kind of travels through in, in everything that you're talking about. It happened the first time we spoke, um, and every time since and, and even on this, this show today. So, I mean, I want, I really want to go into building up those, that positivity. Um, you know, you work a lot with recruits and when you have these classes and you have these new officers that come in, how do you instill that positivity and that, that positive thinking mindset in these new recruits so that they have this skill set? Um, if these things do come about, well, you look back to the athletic piece and you know, some of the, the teams that win the, the national league, uh, whatever championship, it's not usually the one with the biggest payroll or the one with the best players. It's the people and the group of people that can come together in that given day at that given time and become one. And it's that mental toughness, that positivity. It's that true leadership. And, you know, leadership, they say, is that something that's born with or is it something we're developed? Is it charismatic or is it, is it knowledge-based? I think it's a combination of all those things. And for me, being able to motivate people and get them to do some exceptional things, it, it's, it's such a, a gift that I would like to think that I have. But it's something that I uh, constantly cultivate. But at the end of the day, if I can make someone's life better and be positive and, uh, you know, and, and have helped them through a bad time, then I've earned that day. And with all my recruits and with anyone that I talk to, and I challenge everyone who's listening here, try to make at least one stranger smile per day. And, and I look at it that for the average police officer, when you start policing, you're going to work 2,080 hours uh, a year. That's 208 10-hour shifts. 
So I, I ask everyone in once in 10 hours, if you can get out of your cruiser or you can just get out and look at someone and say, hi, how are you doing today? And they say, fine, you go make sure you have a great day. And you make them smile. At the end of your 30 career, that's 6,400 opportunities that you had to change someone's life for the positive or 6,400 opportunities you had to confirm the negative um, perception of police that were just a bunch of cement heads or what have you. And then, you know, when you've got uh, four or 500 recruits or yet you start to look at the math and the small things that if you make a stranger smile or better yet mentor a young person, you can unleash some incredible human potential all because you're that you're there. And in life, we cannot change what happens to us. We can't. Things happen. Good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. It just happens that way. But what we can control is how we respond to that. We can control on what we say, what we do and how we feel. But then we can control how we respond to it and how we develop with ourselves and we can move forward. But again, if you can go out there and show some authenticity in, in your life, because the world is so superficial right now. And the one thing with COVID, I'm really happy that it's shutting down, is it focusing a lot of us to stop the noise of being too busy to do stuff. And, and I look at Michelle and I, we've had so many cyber dates or Zoom dates or WebEx dates with people. These are friends that we've been meaning to get together with for months, but we never seem to have the time. But that's what I would exchange to anyone or some of uh, you know, our seniors that are out there. Right now, we're going to Waterloo to take, get my mom groceries every week. These are opportunities that we would not have if we can continued on the busy life that we're having. So if you can start to relay some of these very simple things that can make people smile and, and let them know, and, and, and they're, they're naturally going to respect you for who you were. But it's that first interaction that if you can walk in there, and, and I say to everyone, if you can look like a professional, people are going to start to formulate an opinion of you. If you can sound like a professional, and I'm a strong advocate, I would never come up to go, I'm Sergeant Doug Fluger, the Guelph Police, because that sounds like I'm overcompensating. I would always come and go, hi, my name is Doug Fluger, I'm a Sergeant with the Guelph Police. I want them to know the person first, because the person is wearing the uniform, the uniform is not wearing the person. And then the last thing I always do is with that good firm handshake, is just let them know that, that you're there. So when people see you, they can see with their senses, they can hear with their senses, and they can even feel with their senses. But if you truly have a mission that each and every day that you make one stranger smile, that when you sit at the end of the day and you reflect on that smile, that's going to help you sleep better. And it's going to help you know that you earned that day. And right now, there's so much negative in our world. There's so much negative through the fake media out there. People want positivity. And people are craving positivity. So isn't that a neat thing that you can go out there and just be nice and be kind to people? And that could be the difference that takes them off that physical or mental ledge where they live or they die. And knowing that we all have that possibility by being nice to people, what a great opportunity we have. But don't let that opportunity be missed. Make sure that you embrace that opportunity and be positive with people. And down the road, hopefully, it's going to make a difference. And you may never know that it did, but you, it goes back to do the integrity. Do what you got to do when no one's watching. You don't help people. You're not positive to get that dividend down the road. You're doing it because it's the right thing, because you should always do the right thing, because it's the right thing to do. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. I haven't uh, on the podcast. I mean, people that listen to this regularly will know I haven't really talked much about COVID-19 or anything like that. What's going on, the politics behind it and the, or the science behind it, simply because I don't know enough about it. And, yeah. you know, it's it's to just add my conjecture into the mix just muddies the water even more for people. And but one of the things that I do find very interesting uh, about what's happening right now with the world, not just in Canada or the U.S., but around the world is that you know, people are starting to, one, realize that, you know, we don't need all of the noise that happens that's been happening leading up until this lockdown. 
right? With all of the social media and with all of the, you know, just driving to work and the transportation and everybody being out in the streets and going out and partying and all these types of things. And people are spending more and more time with their families and their loved ones. Um, and of course, there's the outliers where there is some, you know, with especially for, for law enforcement. I mean, there's a huge uptick in domestics and things like that. But aside from those outliers, generally what I'm finding, especially with my circle and it, of people that I speak with, it's that this is generally a positive thing that's happening. I mean, yes, it's shitty that the economy is going to shit. Yes, it's crappy that, you know, everything, people are losing their jobs and, and that's all bad. But it is from a general perspective, fairly positive that we're starting to find like, hey, maybe maybe we can actually spend more time with each other and talk about things that matter to us or spend time on things that make us happy. Um, you know, for, you know, one of the things that we talk about on this podcast all the time with instructors is finding those times to, you know, better yourself to, to, you know, I mean, you love teaching, but I know for most instructors, we love learning oh. and, you know, take this time now. If you, you always say, Hey, oh, I never have a chance to, to learn this or take this course or whatever. Well, guess what? Now you got plenty of time. Um, you have time to, to get in and, or you have time to read that book or you have time to watch that video series that you never um, thought you were going to get a chance to. Um, and it's overall, I see it as more of a positive than a negative, um, even from an environmental perspective. But I mean, there's there's so many positives to take from what's happening right now. Um, it's it's on it's an onus on us right now to really share that message with people and be like, listen, yeah, I know this is a really shitty time and there's a lot of bad stuff happening right now. Don't be blind to all the really good stuff that's happening right now, and I think that's um, I think that's kind of brought up in, in what you were just mentioning today is is find that positive thing, be that positive influence for other people, and um, and hopefully we'll be able to make some changes for the better. Well, and it's true, and you, and you look at even the physiologically side of it. If if you are depressed or you're stressed, you're going to release cortisol. And cortisol is destructive in the body, you know, and it, it just shuts you down. But, you know, just think about for anyone that when you have that really good workout and all your endorphins and the adrenaline and you just feel so alive and that becomes an addiction. And, you know, it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy that the, the more positive you are, the more positive you're going to be. And you get all these great hormones and released in your body. And at the end of the day, you just feel fantastic. So, you know, it's a, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that we can start to change the way we, we think and the way we act. And hopefully that will be the difference between living and dying or experiencing life or sitting back and watch. I know uh, I, I kind of set people up when I talk to them about um, uh, living. And I say, did anyone here ever see that movie, The Bucket List? And everyone's like, yeah, it was a great movie. And it was a great movie. And as positive as I am, I get really serious. And I said, well, was it really a positive movie? And they're like, yeah, it was funny and blah, 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 blah. I said, but at the end of the day, you've got two terminally ill men that are dying at the age of 80 and they finally start to live life. Is that really a funny movie or is it maybe a challenge to all of us that we need to slow down and we start to need to start living life right now? And we need to be the best that we can be because at the end of the day, life is to live, not watch. And I always joke that one day I'm going to be sitting on the porch in my rocking chair, probably seeing now, maybe in some diapers, and I can sit back and rock and go, what an amazing ride. I lived every second of every day instead of, I wish I would have. I wish I would have. And we need to only look around some of our circles. I've got buddies that are in their 40s and 50s. They're just playing pickup hockey, still thinking they're going to make the NHL. And again, Good on you guys. I'm glad that you're out there. But I, I always joke that I did all that stuff in university when I was playing football and I wrestled. I'm a has-been as a person as I never was. And there's great honor in being a has-been. 
and, and I just really hope that with this COVID uh, isolation right now, people are focusing in on the real thing. And whether it's the God, the powers of the universe, or whatever you believe, you just think right now something, someone, some energy wanted us to slow down, just like you said, and focus in on our friends and our family and, those, and that which means the most in our lives. And in communication is huge. And that's the neat thing with the internet now. We've got Zoom, we've got Facebook, we've got all these different vehicles to communicate with people. But realize, talk with a lot of people, but even listen more when you're with these people. Listen to what they have to say, because some of your greatest growth and assistance is by listening to someone and not talking to them. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, one of the things that you kind of brought up with me, um, and it was kind of a quote that you you gave, and it was, I can because you said I can't. I, I read that like four or five different ways. So can you maybe just explain a bit about what that's about and, um, and how you use that when you, when you teach and when you, when you talk to people? Well, I'm going to go back to that teacher. Uh, basically, he called me fatty fluke. I was a piece of garbage welfare and I never amount to anything. And I believed him. And I lived that through grade seven. I lived that through grade eight. And even in grade nine, I went into school and I didn't play any sports. And in gym class, there was a teacher, and, and uh, his name was John Cater. He saw me playing touch football with the class. He saw that I had some speed. He saw that I had some hands. And he got me to come out for grade 10 football. And all of those times in my world up to that, the three years, I didn't participate because this guy said that I could not do it. And I listened to him, and I let him convince me that I was that welfare piece of trash, the fatty fluke that would never amount to anything. And I, I let him do that. But ever since John Cater saw something in me, he taught me to see something in myself. And he always said, when someone tells you you can't do something, use that to fuel you can. So I, I came up with, I can because you said I can't. And all too often in our lives, whether it's being a, you want to be a police officer, you want to be a doctor, you want to be like, whatever you want to be, there's probably a thousand people that will tell you why you shouldn't do something or why you can't do something. But at the end of the day, it comes down to you saying, I can because you said I can't. And if you're doing what you need to do and you're tired or you're doubting yourself, visualize that person in front of you like I do all the time where he's saying, Flug, you're nothing but a fat little boy and you're going to mount to nothing. You're just a welfare piece of trash. And I proved him wrong. And I proved him wrong so many times, uh, whether it was on a football field, whether it was a wrestling match, whether it was on chasing a bad guy, whether it was studying for an exam. I can because he said I can't. And I will continue to be able to do that uh, for the rest of my life. There's a video that I love to watch. It's called uh, Why We Fail. It's about six and a half minutes. And uh, my buddy shared it with me when I was going through some times, uh, a, a bad situation at work. And uh, inside the video, it says, the man who says he can and the man who says he can't are both 100% correct. Which man are you? I love that. That's fantastic. I want to get into too before we uh, we kind of wrap things up, and before we kind of move into talking about what you're doing right now. Is there anything that we've spoken about today that you really want to drive home for officers listening to this? The biggest thing that I, it's important is that um, I had the privilege of uh, spending two one hour sessions driving Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman from the airport and to the airport, and uh, you know he's everyone in, in the police world knows who he is. Um, when he talks about the mass killings and that. And I remember the one speech he jokes about that he said, you know, he interviewed a thousand Second World War vets. And he said 50% of them told me they soiled themselves in, in, the, in the heat of combat. And he said what it also revealed to him is 50% of them lied in that that they didn't. 
But in, in talking with him, I thought it was so neat because he said that we need to inoculate people to stress. We need to let them know that you're going to have night terrors, that you're going to have problems sleeping, that you're going to wake up in the middle of the night. You're going to have all these physiological and psycho, all these psychological uh, symptoms or um, experiences after you go through a critical situation. And he said, the bottom line is you're not alone. And it's not uh, a bad thing to, uh, to say you need help. It's not a sign of weakness, either. It's uh, actually, it's a sign of strength. And my biggest message that I want to say to everyone is, like we said before, a lot of bad things are going to happen to your life, or they do, or they might not. But if it does, realize that asking for help is not a show of weakness. It's a sign of strength. It's that first step you going from being a victim to a survivor. And we've all been trained in that survivor mentality that if it's us versus the bad guy, we're going to do whatever we can. Obviously, we're going to try to save the bad guy's life, but it comes down to it. We are going to be asked to do something that is, is against our, 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 our um, biologies to take another life. But at the end of the day, realize you have to be good to yourself before you can be good to others. And if you are going through a problem or you're going through stress, know that there's medically and, and mental health trained professionals out there that want to help you. Use that um, strength from all of the convictions and all of the, the love that you have through your friends and family to ask for help. Because once you do that first ask, again, you take that step from being a victim where things happen to you to a survivor. And there's no shame in being sad. There's no shame in being down. They're natural responses to the, some of the stress that we deal with. And let's not forget that we're put into situations where people can't even imagine what other human beings can do to each other. And we're human beings going into exceptional, there are these crazy situations, but we have to realize that that's not where reality is. And if you do ask for help, and that's where I found if I asked for help, I got my mindset out of the chaos and the systems and infrastructure that were in place with me provide calm. We go into chaos and we try to provide calm with our presence, but realize sometimes we may have chaos in our own minds and we have to use the systems and infrastructure that we talk about uh, to try to provide some calm into that so we can live to take this, what we've gone through, we can take the experiences we've learned so we can self-share with others so that the younger generations can come up and say, hey, I was just like that guy or that girl, or I want to be like that guy or that girl. And at the end, don't make the trauma that we went through uh, wasted. Take it, learn from it, and share it with the younger ones coming through so that maybe they won't have the heartaches and they won't be like I was that first day, laughed at by the senior officer told me I was a wimp, told me I was, I was just a piece of garbage because I'm laughing. I have tears in my eyes when real men don't cry and that crap. Let's make sure that as we move forward, we are provide a system for younger officers to realize that if you need help, it's okay. Because then maybe, just maybe, that'll be one less officer that takes their life. You know, it's a powerful message, brother. Thank you. It's, uh, it's interesting. I had a conversation. I had a full afternoon um, with, uh, with Dave Grossman, him and I got on a call and we had him on the podcast. Um, and a lot of what he spoke about was sleep. Um, and so, I mean, we didn't, obviously it's not like a four hour episode, but we, what we cut out of it for the, for the podcast, we talked a lot about sleep and, and how that plays an important role in just the mental health of people right now and officers, first responders right now, because of what's happening with COVID and, overtime and just the stress levels being at an all-time high because there's no there's no release there's no remedy um from the stress of the job you can't just clock off your shift go home crack a beer go to the bar with your buddies go to the gym it just there's there's no release and um i mean this this positive mindset is one thing that people can can actually function uh, or act upon 
Um, so I think that's, uh, that's a really cool. It's a little uh, caveat um, to what we were discussing. But uh, I want to talk about Iron Will 360. I want to talk about what you have going on. And I also want to talk about the fact that um, your, the URL that you have for your website, which is riseupandexcel.ca, is probably my favorite URL that I've seen so far. And I've seen a lot of them, um, especially with guests on the show. But I love that, Rise Up and Excel. Can you talk a bit about what you have going on with that and, um, and where people can find you and what can they get from, from those resources? Well, it's one of those things right now that, um, you know, I just wanted to formalize a process that people could get a hold of me because, you know, every once in a while someone wants to get some help or, you know, I, I've got several people that are actually doing formal paid mentorship programs because, again, they can learn from the knowledge and, and I'm there 24-7 if they need it just to, to give uh, some instant feedback and Again, you know, hearing some everyday guy, like I, I kind of um, liken myself to, I, I was just a normal guy. I grew up, I had some pretty cool experiences. I was a law enforcement officer for 28 years. I'm now teaching that thing. But I had a lot of bad experiences that I've learned from. And to keep those experiences not uh, not available to folks, I just thought was a waste. So I've always, uh, from the personal training, uh, used the hashtag stronger, faster, fitter in our heart, our body, and our mind. And I truly believe that we need to be stronger, faster, fitter in those three disciplines when I started to get uh, looking up the URLs, I thought, you know, what's one thing that, again, can encapsulate me? And everything that we talked about is about taking the negative, learning from it, and getting out there and getting successful. And just one day I thought, hey, rise up and excel. So I started to use that hashtag, and I saw that people weren't using it on uh, an Instagram. And when it came down to getting the website, I thought, you know, it's, there's a message in the website URL as well as, um, you know, it, it's just a secondary level of a message. So it's uh, www.riseupandexcel.ca. And on there, uh, it's basically my vast experience as a coach, counselor, and mentor. Uh, I talk a lot about uh, coaching officers. I talk about the uh, all the athletes that I've trained from different levels. Literally, there's been – I was the strength and conditioning coach for the Guelph Storm for 20 years. So I still have about 10 or 15 guys in the NHL. I've trained uh, – I was a coach down at West Virginia University for off-ice hockey conditioning. So I've got some NCAA there. I've trained some Olympians. I was a national strength and conditioning coach for Wrestle Canada for two or three years uh, based out of Guelph. So I've had the privilege of training a lot of people in a lot of different spheres of influence. And I thought down the road, if people want to get out there and get help, they should give me a shout. And uh, I tweet at Sergeant D. Flug, but I also tweet at Ironwell360. My Instagram is Ironwell360. And again, sometimes people need that help. And there's so many people out there that, you know, say that they might be that person you need as a mentor or a coach. Well, I can walk you through a lot of the, uh, the experiences that I've gone through that hopefully you can identify with and hopefully you can say, well, if he did it, so can I. So that at the end, we can basically get uh, any of my new clients to come out and say, I can because other people said I can't, but I can because Mr. Flug and I say that I can and move forward. So, you know, obviously to, to get out there and offer it for free, I just wouldn't have enough time in the day. But if people want to get out there and enter a formalized uh, coach, counselor, mentor uh, relationship, I'd be more than happy to entertain that. Uh, I, I welcome, uh, we call uh, on a Zoom, a WebEx or what have you, and we talk for the hour. Because again, if you don't feel that connection with me and you don't like my message, I don't want to waste your time and I don't want you to waste my time. I'd much rather invest an hour or 60 minutes in a phone call into that prospective client just to make sure it's the right fit because I don't want them to regret or doubt um, you know, hiring me. Because again, at the end of the day, we talked about that that if I don't treat those folks with honor, integrity, passion, accountability, then I'm not doing my job. But I guarantee that if we do work together, you will always get it. honor, integrity, passion, and accountability. And I know I can help you, uh, as we say, rise up and excel and take some of the bad things that I've seen and I've helped people through in the pit of darkness and some of the greatest successes and greatest failures 
uh, anyone who wants me to come into their life, they're going to get the benefit of all of that. Doug, brother, I love it. This is such a powerful episode. Um, I mean, everybody who's listened to it through till now, well, you know, everyone's sitting there and it's uh, it was an amazing episode and it was an honor to have you on the show, my friend. And I can't wait to collaborate with the future and uh, and uh, hopefully you and I'll get a chance to uh, to meet up sometime soon here once all this lockdown ends. I'd love that. Thank you so much for having me. And I, I truly appreciate it. And I'm going to challenge you. I want you to try to make one stranger smile per day, even in isolation. Uh, and again, every night as you sit back and you reflect on your day, remember that smile that you gave to someone because that's a gift that they will never lose. They will always remember you in a kind light. Right on, brother. Well, I'm going to jump right on that, and uh, we are going to talk again very, very soon. So stay safe, my man. Thanks, buddy. All right, that wraps up another episode here on Tactical Breakdown. If you like what you're hearing, if you're enjoying the content and finding it actionable and useful, consider subscribing to the podcast. You're going to stay up to date on all of the current events with law enforcement training around the world. And if you haven't already heard about the International Law Enforcement Training Summit, you need to jump over to ILETSummit.com. Check that out. The live version is done and gone. That took place in July 2020. But you have the ability to get lifetime access to all of the training that's been developed for a very, very, very low price. Make sure to use the promo code BREAKDOWN to save even more. Check that out at ILETSummit.com. Thanks again for being here with us at the Tactical Breakdown. And until next time, stay safe. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.